Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast. I'm Veronica Ambuel, Director of Communications for the Diocese of Colorado Springs, and I'm joined today by Deacon Doug Flynn, who is the Chancellor and General Counsel for the Diocese, and Deacon Patrick Jones, who's an award-winning author of Catholic fiction and the founder of Catholic Halos. Um, Before we get started today, uh, Deacon Patrick, would you lead us in an opening prayer? In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora panobis peccatoribus, nunc et in or mortis nostre. Amen. So uh, our topic for today um, is the vocation to the permanent diaconate. And the reason we chose to talk about this topic for this episode is because um, the Diocese of Colorado Springs is uh, very shortly going to be um, asking men to consider this vocation and um, choosing, choosing some of them to enter a formation program um, starting in, uh, I believe it would be uh, 2023. So, uh, you know, Bishop Golka um, has addressed the vocation of the deacon in in the March 18th issue of the Colorado Catholic Herald newspaper um, in his column. And um, there's also going to be uh, an informational meeting uh, on May 7th at 9 a.m. at St. Peter's Church in Monument for anyone who's interested. So we thought it would be good, um, being that we have two deacons here today, um, to get uh, both of their perspectives on um, just what this vocation uh, has meant for them, what their journey was like, and so forth. Um Deacon Doug, I know you. There was a uh, there's a um, passage from the Acts of the Apostles that really lays out well just what the vocation of the deacon entails. Sure, I'll just uh, start reading from uh, the Book of Acts, chapter six, verses one through seven, and it reads: Now in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists murmured against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the body of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, pick from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicomore, and Timon and Parnetus and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands upon them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And so, Doug, I, I get how you are a deacon, but how in the world did I squeak by? Cause you have to be full of the Holy ghost and wisdom. And your question is, 
only by the grace of God is that possible for any of us. That is absolutely the truth. And I think we both have shared, maybe in some past podcasts, uh, bits and pieces of our faith journey and our calling to the diaconate. So uh, apologies in advance if uh, anyone is a faithful listener and has heard these stories before. Uh, We talked about uh, in the future also trying to have maybe some other brother deacons uh, who are both older and younger than Patrick and myself uh, to talk about it. Because I think the the role of the permanent diaconate anyway, post-Vatican II when it was reinstated, really has probably changed and matured over the years. So so that might be interesting from a historical perspective. But uh, I do always like the idea of going back and starting with scripture. So I think those few verses of uh, the Acts of the Apostles really kind of lay out the beginning of the of the ministry. And uh, I always remind people that when I'm going to get water for a meeting, hey, that's what I'm called to do is to wait on tables. So Deacon does mean servant. And, um, and what we see as one of, in the very first verse, we see allusion to one of the calls of the diaconate is to be in the community and know the community and know who is in need, who is uh, invisibly not getting needs met. Uh, and that's what we have when the uh, the Greeks are murmuring against the Hebrews that their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Um, the church experienced early on, you know, when you have an institution and you have administrivia happening all over the place, human institutions despite being uh, linked in with the divine, we're in the world, but not of it, still make mistakes, still make errors, still don't see some of the poverties. And so one of the purposes of the diaconate is to see those poverties and be the hands and feet of Christ that, uh, that reach out and bring, um, uh, the ministrations to those in need. Well, yeah, uh, Deacon Patrick, that's uh, when, as you were talking, I, what uh, came to my mind is um, about, gosh, it's probably about 10 years ago now, but um, uh, Deacon Ed DeMatty, who um, at one time, um, I think, uh, you know, was serving here in Colorado Springs. He's now up in, um, in Highlands Ranch, but, um, I spoke to him extensively, um, about a ministry that he started, uh, called the military outreach ministry. And, um, basically, you know, what, um, what that ministry does, well, there's a variety of things, but, um, they provide support to the families of um, service members um, who are maybe deployed. Um, at that time, it, that was uh, when the, the war in Afghanistan was was really um, active. And uh, they, there were a lot of families uh, that he was dealing with at Fort Carson um, where the, the spouse was, was gone. Uh, but but other things too, uh, um, members of the military who have been disabled and, and things like that. And um, it seems like um, 
a really good example of the uh, the way that um, a deacon can, it, as you said, you know, really who who's really in touch with um, those in the community that are struggling, and can, um, in a sense, kind of rally rally the uh, the churches to to come to their aid, you know, in the way that they. They need. I mean, um, you know. So, he, so at Corpus Christi, which is my parish, you know, we uh, they were uh, putting together food baskets uh, for the families and and things like that. But since I, I have to say, since I started, um, you know, writing for the Herald newspaper, I sure have learned a lot about um, the the ways that deacons serve. That often, um, you know, are kind of behind the scenes, not really um, uh, known about. Uh, by by a lot of Catholics and um, which is as it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to see the servants, right? Right. Yeah. And and you know it was right exactly. I mean, and it was um, it was all about it was it, it's all about um, what we as as the church can do to help um, those are who are suffering in one way or another. But I mean, I guess one of the the topics that has come up um, when I've done stories about the deaconate over the years is the, um, you know, it's the fact that most permanent deacons are married. And so how do you, how does the vocation of a deacon um, mesh, for lack of a better word, with the vocation to marriage and how do you well, reconcile those? It's a cookie cutter answer because the, the answer for every deacon is exactly the same. And I'm my tongue is firmly in my cheek as I say that <laughs> because the, the way that, that uh, Doug and his lovely wife address this is very different from the way that uh, I and my lovely wife address this. Um, but why? at least when I went through formation, and I'm pretty sure this is still the case, uh, wives are very much encouraged and, uh, invited to be a very integral part of the whole formation process so that they're seeing with eyes wide open what it is that their husbands are getting involved with. And the church says that, uh, the, the order in which we receive our, um, vocations, and take those vows, that's the order of importance. So marriage comes first, marriage and family, and um, then the diaconate is after that. Um, but Doug, I'm sure you can speak to the uh, juggling act more than I can, because with my bludgeon brain, that act is of juggling is, is uh, less in conflict with itself. Well, uh, as you said, uh, Veronica, it is it is really a meshing. And Patrick, you're absolutely right when uh, you point out that uh, as married men uh, and and celibate men or uh, single men can be deacons as permanent deacons as well. But um, the majority, and I couldn't tell you whether it's 85 or 95 percent of the permanent deacons that I know at least are married, and um, many most have, have families of their own at various stages of. Uh, of family life. And so when I went through formation, 
uh, it was very much as you said, Patrick, where the wives were encouraged to participate and to come to class and to study and to do the assignments. And my wife, bless her heart, we had two young kids, and I think she was pregnant with our third um, after some months or, or maybe a year or so. He came to me and said, um, you know, I'm not the one getting ordained here. I do have a vocation, and I'm living it every day as mom. Uh, do you really need me to go to these classes? And I was like, I don't need you to, but I guess we have to talk with our formation team. And they were very understanding and uh, agreed that, uh, you know, it was not necessarily necessary for every wife to come to every event. They wanted to make sure that it was open and, and wives felt welcome, but not obligated uh, in the sense of uh, a man who's uh, discerning that call to be ordained and called to ordination uh, as a servant, as a deacon. And then, then I'm struck also uh, by the second verse uh, that you read, Deacon Doug, uh, where it gives a very solid distinction between priests and deacons. Um, and and I don't know, uh, I think we, we've both talked about how, you know, after giving a homily, uh, it's fairly common for somebody to come up and say, great homily, Father. And, and it's, you know, my pat line for that is, well, my kids call me Father, but but you really should just call me Deacon. So um, <clears throat> there is admittedly some confusion there, um, but the, the translation that I have uh, says that the, um, the 12 apostles called together the multitude of disciples and said, it is not reason. So we've talked through various episodes about references throughout, uh, by the saints and in gospel and, uh, now in acts about the, the intellect appeal to reason. It's not reasonable. It's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Um, and that really is the distinction, uh, because the diaconate is Christ reaching out in service to Christ and the different poverties that Christ experiences. Whereas the priests, um, are about the word and the table, um, meaning the Eucharist. Um, there's the, there isn't confusion there yet somehow it has seeped in. Um, and is there anything that you would have experienced, uh, there, Doug, that, that kind of sheds some light on that? Well, uh, it may be helpful, especially for those who are out there who are discerning, uh, either husbands or wives or single men, you know, what exactly is it, is a deacon called to do? We've talked in, in general, and certainly the Bible talks about, being ordered in the image of Christ the servant and serving tables and serving the widows and then by extension serving all of those who are marginalized and somewhat hidden in the shadows. So that that can include uh, ministering in hospitals, uh, ministering to those who are ill, ministering to prisoners, those who are incarcerated. Um, you know, Veronica, you pointed out uh, Deacon Ed DeMatty ministering to those families that are left behind when uh, husbands or wives or other family members deploy. So uh, being conformed to the image of Christ the servant is fundamentally uh, different than the priesthood, which is ordered to Christ the, the head or Christ the, 
Christ the King, if you will. And so priests uh, are the only ones who can uh, celebrate the Eucharist. They're the only ones who can consecrate uh, and consubstantiate, consubstantiate, transubstantiate the uh, body and blood of Christ. I sound like a Protestant, don't I? Uh, the body and the uh, bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. But they're also the only ones who exercise the ministry. Priests are the only ones who exercise the ministry of the forgiveness of sins, both in the sacrament of uh, penance or reconciliation uh, or confession, and also in the anointing of the sick. And so when I was called to, um, by uh, Father Paul Wicker to consider the diaconate, which I knew nothing about, what he saw was a young man who, in addition to his family life and in addition to his life in a law firm, uh, got great joy and, and life from uh, visiting patients in the hospital, particularly in the, in the cancer ward. And um, so he saw that as perhaps a, a blossoming or a uh, calling towards the diaconate. And like I said, in past, uh, past episodes, we've gone through that in more detail. But um, one of the struggles that I had was I felt like, well, why can't deacons anoint the sick? Because uh, it just seems like if we're really called to minister to people in the hospital, that that is the sacrament of the sick. And uh, it took it took some months of uh, discernment and uh, teaching from the formation team and from Father Wicker and others to point out to me that, yes, the anointing of the sick is a distinct sacrament, but a part and parcel of that is the forgiveness of sins, which is one of the sacraments reserved to priests and to those conformed to Christ the head. So the joke went that, well, as a deacon, you'll hear lots of confessions. You just can't do anything to, to help it. So, <laughs> well, and yeah, that, that, and, and you can go ahead, Veronica. Can, oh, I was just well, and I, I guess you know, you could still, I, I imagine, still facilitate a lot of, um, you know, anointings and confessions. I mean, you can, can maybe, maybe. Uh, I'm sure at least makes it a lot easier for people anyway. Um, you know, if they're in the hospital and maybe close to death or something, you know, that, uh, that, um, you know, to have a deacon there to, um, uh, you know, help, help get it. it it's not always easy to, um, um, have a priest present in, in the hospital, but, um, uh, just, just because, um, you know they they have so so much on their plate, but to to have a deacon there, maybe um, I, I imagine that that makes the uh, the whole process go a little more smoothly. Well, if nothing else, we know a lot more priests sometimes than a nurse or a, a social worker will. So yeah, we usually have people on priests on speed dial if we need them, uh, and and of course the deacons are ordinary ministers of the Eucharist when it comes to bringing communion to those who are homebound or those who are uh, unable for whatever reason uh, in prison or whatever to come to a regular mass. So deacons a lot of times uh, will bring communion even to those who are dying at home or in the hospital called viaticum or uh, you know sometimes referred to as the last rites and people confuse the anointing of the sick and confession with the bringing of communion. But uh, um, that's been uh, an interesting journey in and of itself. And, and you're right, Veronica, having a deacon there as a, a representative of the church for the family and potentially to bring the final viaticum or the final, final communion uh, to a dying patient is one of the most profound gifts uh, that I've experienced as a deacon. 
So, I mean, for for someone out there, I, I guess, um, who might be listening to this, um, and and uh, again, you know, there's this informational meeting on um, May seventh at nine o'clock in the morning at uh, St. Peter's in Monument. But um, how would a, how would a man kind of um, s- start thinking about this and start? What type of questions would he ask himself, or you know, to to start thinking about whether he could be called to a vocation as a permanent deacon? I have an answer to that, but I'd like to defer to Deacon Patrick first. (laughs) Um, The the first thought that went through my mind, much like Doug's, was what in the world was, is the diaconate? Um, And the second thought was, uh, is this really the office that I'm called to? I, I feel a call to something and I don't know what that something is. Um, and the reality is there are lots of offices. We, we use the word offices. It really means ministry. Um, there are lots of offices within the church hierarchy and there are lots of offices that are outside of the hierarchy. Uh, and two examples of those would be in the stations of the cross. The fifth station of the cross is Simon helping Jesus carry the cross. That's an office. And we actually celebrate that 2000 years later. It was one act in one moment in time by one man. And the same with Veronica at the sixth station of the cross, uh, wiping Jesus's face. And so there are many many offices, some of them are hierarchical, and one of those is the diaconate. So feeling called to um, participate in the body of Christ, if you're a married man and you're feeling called to something more um, in addition to the wonder of one living life as one flesh running towards Christ together with your beloved bride, um, enter into discernment because the church will share that discernment with you and help guide you as you discern it. The church is also discerning it and your beloved bride will also be discerning it with you. So that's my, uh, that's my take on it, Doug. Well, I I agree. Uh, I've, I've had a number of people come up to me over the years and just ask, you know, what is a deacon? We, We see you up there at the altar. We hear you preach every so often. But, but I don't understand what the office is or what the ministry is. And I guess what I would say for anybody out there who's wondering, uh, as Patrick did and as I did, what is this whole diaconate thing? What, what does a deacon do all day? Um, if you have ever felt called to visit somebody in the sick who wasn't an immediate family member, or even was, or if you've been called to minister to those who are homebound, who are in prison, who otherwise can't you know, participate in the normal everyday life of the church, um, those to me would be earmarks or, you know, ideas that maybe you're being called to the diaconate. And um, if it's, well, I like to wear, you know, beautiful vestments and I like to preach and tell people what I think, maybe not so much at this point, but uh, that call to service really, uh, even in the workplace, if you 
if you're drawn to um, ideas or management principles like being a servant leader, um, those might be intimations or hints that uh, that God is trying to plant or seeds that he's trying to plant that you should at least at least explore uh, whether or not the permanent diaconate is something that uh, that you're being called towards. Well, and one of the beauties of discernment is even if the diaconate isn't the answer, you will exit it with a much clearer understanding of what is the answer. Well, and, and I guess I would just, um, at this point, um, you know, kind of, uh, put, you know, put in the plug that, um, you know, uh, and I'm sure this isn't just in our diocese, but, um, there's a, there's a, we have a strong need for, um, any deacons who are bilingual, um, you know, who, who speak Spanish and also, um, you know, I, I think the other thing that everybody's looking at is, is that, um, a lot of the deacons that uh, present company accepted, of course, a lot of the deacons that are currently serving in our diocese are kind of getting close to retirement age. And, and, um, so, so, so it's, it's, um, we're looking at trying to replace, I think, just, um, the, the men who are serving now, um, and, and grow and grow the numbers to, to fill all these needs that, you know, we see around us in our community. And, and so, um, uh, I know that um, that uh, the the men who are going to be in charge of the formation for this program, I, I th- hopefully I'm not putting words in their mouth when I say that. You know, I think they would uh, invite anybody who even has um, you know curiosity about this to to come to the meeting or to um, uh, to contact the diocese uh, De- deacon Cliff Donnelly because. Um, Again, there's, 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 and especially the, you know, the other, the other kind of aspect of that is, I think, geographical. Um, we, uh, our diocese needs more deacons kind of out in the, um, the Western part, uh, kind of, you know, Buena Vista, Salida, that area, and then also out on the plains more towards Lyman and that kind of thing. So, um, uh, I guess, I guess my point is, you know, um, again, if, if, if anybody, you know, even is just curious to, to think about coming to the information meeting on, on May 7th, um, I, I think, um, I know again, just from, from my experience in interviewing so many deacons over the years, um, they're all very different and unique people. Um, you know, there's no kind of, uh, quote unquote, you know, perfect deacon, uh, image out there, but, um, they, they all, well, now uh, I'm crushed. <laughs> I noticed she didn't say present company accepted in that one. But, uh, but, you know, so, so it, it's, just as an out kind of, I guess you could say outside observer, what it seems to me is that, you know, there's always a way for someone to use their gifts 
whatever they might be within that within that vocation. So, and at the Jesus risk of- said, "Take up your cross and come follow me," and that's the invitation of uh, of all ministry. But one of the humbling realizations is none of us can do everything Christ does. Uh, that's why we're part of the body of Christ, and the jobs are divided up. Um, and so, discerning which job is uh, yours, which job is mine, uh, that's part of the gift of the church. Well, and Veronica, I think you pointed out some very important things, which is, uh, at least when I went through formation, uh, if you were bilingual or spoke Spanish, that was a bonus, but there wasn't any formal track to teach even conversational Spanish, which I think moving forward, that's going to be a a more integrated and more intentional part of the formation so that the next class uh, of deacons who's ordained uh, at least has a, uh, a better grasp of the Spanish language and the needs of the Hispanic community. So I know Javier Cervantes, who's our director of Hispanic ministry, is going to be more involved in the formation process and provide more resources. Uh, not that you have to become fluent in Spanish to become a deacon, but the need is certainly there. And that population is underserved and yet is growing. So I think in planning for the future of the church, part of that is planning to minister to our Hispanic and Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters uh, and then also in the mountains and the plains, I know there's a concerted effort to try and leverage some of the uh, technology and distance learning things that we've all come to probably know too much about during COVID, but to try and make it the travel less of a burden and move more towards a once a month uh, formation in person model than a once a week, which is what Patrick and I went through. So um, yeah, don't let distance, don't let don't let anything be a barrier if you feel even an inkling of a call to the permanent diaconate. And uh, Veronica, I think uh, we're committed to, you know, between now and May, uh, maybe doing another um, episode, if you will, uh, and inviting in some other deacons and maybe even some, some other deacon formation team for this next class to uh, answer questions. So uh, as we wrap up, if folks do have questions, Veronica, do you want to uh, tell them where they could email or, or send in questions? Yeah, so um, I think, you know, again, they'd want to contact uh, Deacon Cliff Donnelly. Um, that would, so his email address is C Donnelly, that would be C D O N N E L L Y at D I O C S dot org. Um, I think that's probably the best uh, first step. Um, uh, and, and he'll, he said, you know, he's, very available to speak to anybody who might have any questions or just want to know more. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, there's going to be, um, an article in this next issue of the Herald, the April 1st issue, um, kind of reiterating a lot of the things we talked about today, but with probably some more contact information and, and hard, hard details about this. So, um, so yeah, we'll, uh, yeah, I think, that's definitely a great idea. We can um, try to uh, continue to highlight this um, between now and um, May when when the uh, and and the information meeting in May is is just the first I think of several events that they're planning. But um, but okay, well, yeah, we are just about out of time for today. So uh, Deacon Doug, would you lead us in a closing prayer? Certainly. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. 
Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostrae. Amen. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us for this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast.